I heard a story this week that was interesting to me. I have a niece who has a daughter who's two and a half years old. Her, the daughter's name is Ray Lynn. My niece's husband is getting deployed right now from North Carolina. So um, my sister, which would be Ray Lynn's grandmother, and her husband drove down to North Carolina to assist in the transition down to the Army base for, for all of that. And um, my sister called her granddaughter in anticipation of her coming. And when little Ray Lynn, who's two and a half, got on the phone, she said, you coming, Gigi? And my sister responded, Gigi's coming. And Ray Lynn responded, we going shopping? <laughs> we going shopping. Woohoo! the girls are going shopping! And I'm thinking, boy, at two and a half, you don't have any trouble expressing your desires, do you? I mean, we already know what we want. We already know how to make sure we get what we want, to make sure the table is set so that I can do what I want to do. The question is, uh, how do we organize our hearts so that what we actually express as our desire is what's best with us rather than just what we're feeling at the moment. If one's life is going to be organized at all, it's gonna be organized by the will. We're gonna to have to make choices based on our feelings and desires, and that's where the crux of transformation has to happen. In our hearts. It's, it's about the shaping of our will. And, and it's easy to get the terms kind of mixed a little bit. When I talk about heart, will, I'm talking about the center of who we are where decisions are made. Okay, right, right where we make choices based on all the available information and all the input that comes to us. Though the will is central to all our decisions. It is usually preceded, a choice is usually preceded by a desire, and before that a concept or an object or some feeling for or against something. Feeling and thought go hand in hand. The person with a well-kept heart is a person who is prepared to respond to the situations of life in ways that are good and right. The will functions as it ought, choosing good, avoiding evil, because it has been prepared in advance for such choices. None of us is perfect, but a well-prepared heart manages to respond rightly most of the time, while an unprepared heart only manages to respond rightly occasionally. Many times we get the inclination to do good, but our thoughts and feelings coax us out of doing the good we ought to do. Other times we're tempted to do wrong, but wise thinking or the dread of consequences help us not to give in to the temptation. I think this is at the heart of the problem most of us have. We are trained by the choices we make in the world 
long before we're aware that there's an alternative. From a very young age, the choices we start to make reinforce the self-centeredness that is essentially who we are. We're reminded in Romans that the natural man, in the thinking of his body, chooses what is pleasant for the body. Romans 8.5 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Living for the flesh leads to death, we're told. Living by the Spirit leads to life. And so we have to figure out how do you live by the Spirit? How does that happen? The loudest voice in us is usually the voice that tells us to avoid discomfort, seek pleasure, secure resources to provide security. That's not news to us. We know those voices. We hear them all the time. Advertisers exploit those voices. I mean, the goal of of an advertiser is to create a narrative that creates an internal need inside our head so that inside our head we are telling ourselves already that we need a particular product. And if they can get into our head and convince us that we need this, then we will do their work for them, right? Once we're convinced that, once the advertiser's voice gets in our head and we're convinced that we need this for our comfort or for expedience or for efficiency or whatever, we'll just run that voice in there and do the advertiser's work. They, they want an earworm, they want a jingle to get in our head so that we'll do their work for them. Dallas Willard reminds us that the pathway forward in terms of Christian development always involves some level of self-denial. You're saying, well, no, there's a helpful, happy thought. But it's the truth, isn't it? The pathway forward to heart transformation always require some level of self-denial. That's the plain, unvarnished truth. Self-denial, though, isn't the same thing as self-rejection. And we shouldn't think of self-denial only in terms of as painful, strenuous effort against our will. But we should be clear about what the Scripture says. This is Matthew 10, verse 37. You've heard these words before. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Do you hear the twist in Jesus' words? Life in Christ is a matter of making choices of making adjustments and they will require some self-denial love for god must become our highest priority we will find our lives when we lose them in christ but that's just another metaphor isn't it i mean what does what does it mean to lose your life in christ i mean i think it's simple to understand but maybe harder to execute To lose your life in Christ requires some choices at the level of the will, some some decisions about how you're going to look at the world and the opportunities that are around you. 
you're going to have to decide whether you honestly believe whether Christ knows what's best for you or not. That's a fundamental thing. If you don't believe that Christ knows what's best for you, then there's no reason for you to take his advice on anything, right? You do you, you hear people say. I'll do me. But Jesus is saying, pick up your cross and follow me. And so unless you believe that he really does know what's best for you, you will be ambivalent always. You will always think inside your head, I know what's best for me. As long as we can't make the choice to believe that God knows what's best for him, for us, we won't really risk following him. Do you believe that he knows what's best for you and that he will help you achieve what is best for you? If so, if you do believe that he knows what's best for you, the next obvious step is, will you cooperate with the plan that he has for you as he reveals it to you? Are you willing to get on board with his image of what your life might be if you actually give it to him? I mean, if you're willing to take the step to believe that he knows what's best, it seems to me it's a no-brainer to then do what he tells you. But that's not the same thing. It's not the same thing as knowing he knows what's best and doing what he reveals to us to do. Because you and I, we have this habit. We make decisions, then we change our mind all the time. You know, we, we say we're gonna do this, but when we're actually presented with the opportunity to do or make a choice, we rethink quickly and in our rethinking, we don't always go back to the fundamental principles we've adopted rationally. Sometimes we go back and we just take what feels good at the moment. And so we've ignored our principle yet again and not acted on what the Spirit has asked us to do. I want to be clear today that I'm trying really hard not to talk in big cosmic plans for your whole life kind of terms. Because sometimes we get all twisted up in knots thinking about what does God want to do with my life? And really the main question we have to ask is what does God want to do with me today, now, this minute? It's, it's, it's baby steps. It's small little pieces. One obedience at a time. One adjustment at a time. It's just today. Are you able to obey Christ today? Are you able to listen to him today? Ruined lives, hearts that have become stone and must be replaced by hearts of flesh, have to make another choice once a heart of flesh has been received, to begin obeying day by day. And that means a daily choosing against self and selfish desires and a daily choice for God and obedience to the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm talking about. If we continue to use that, that heart transplant metaphor that we've been using for several weeks, you, you know that if someone gets a new heart but doesn't change their diet and activities, 
the things that led to them having a bad heart before that needed replacement will corrupt the new heart. You have to make changes when you get the new heart so that the same thing doesn't happen to that heart like happened to the previous one. The same thing is true in the spiritual life. God can replace your heart of stone with the heart of flesh when you repent and ask him to make you new in Christ. But then if you allow all the choices you have been trained to make in your old life to continue into the new, you will continue the process of hardening your new heart. And you'll end up with just the same kind of stony, rock-solid heart you had before. There has to be change. This is what Paul says to the Galatian church in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The life I now live in the body, the life I live after the heart transplant, the life I live now that I'm a child of God, that I have new life in him, now that I'm a new creature, I live by faith in the Son of God. What does faith in the Son of God mean? It means trust that he actually can and will lead me. That he's going to take me day by day to the place of fulfillment and purpose and meaning and that he will realize the objective for which I was created in me. Self-denial is the way forward. And we have to trust that the Son of God knows what he's doing and that the things he asks us to do are important things. This is John 12, 24. You've heard this many times, probably at some funeral services. Very truly, I tell you, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. Fruitfulness, according to this passage, is proceeded by abandoning the self-identity it was born with in order to risk the loss of borders that will allow it to expand. Think about this. The seed stays a seed as long as it clings to its identity as a seed. As long as it determines it will stay a seed and does not allow itself to be planted, it will stay a seed. But the minute it takes the risk of being put in the soil, it begins to lose definition. Its outer borders come away. It takes in nutrients. It takes in water. It expands. Essentially, the seed is destroyed in the process of creating a plant. But who among us wants to stay a stinking seed all our lives? Did you ever get a seed in your gum? 
Our goal is not to be seeds, to be polished, nicely dressed, well, well-acting seeds. Our goal is to become plants and become fruitful. God has a plan in mind for us. He wants to use us, and we're never going to achieve that purpose and that fulfillment in Christ as long as we determine we will be seeds. Some of us sing, I will not be moved to the theme song of being a seed. That's not helpful to us. Our roots must be in Christ, and we must fulfill the purpose for which we were created. And that purpose is that we can be planted to blossom, to produce fruit, to have lives of meaning and purpose. The task is to allow the purpose of Christ to come to fruition in us. Seeds must give up being seeds in order to become more than seeds. Seeds must give up their identity in order to become fruitful, useful, and significant. Psalm 95, six to eight says this. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker, for he is our God and we are his people, the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Oh, that today you would not harden your hearts. Oh, that today you would listen to his voice. Please, after hearing all this general stuff, after hearing the goal of the discussion, after getting a deeper appreciation of what God wants to do in your life, after, leaning, after learning that God wants to make you fruitful, after understanding that you have to deny yourself to make progress, after realizing that God wants to reshape your character, after realizing you can only find your life in God, please, please don't think that the job now is to figure out what the whole range of Christian discipline and maturity is and live up to it perfectly this afternoon. The job is not to layer Christian actions on top of a heart of stone in order to help us feel good about ourselves and look better to the world around us. The task is to allow the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts so that Christian actions naturally flow from a reshaped heart. Not only that, as much as we want Christian actions to flow naturally from our reshaped hearts, we want hearts that have been tuned to the voice of the Spirit so that part of the character of our hearts is to listen for and to obey the voice of the Spirit. And that all happens one step at a time, one obedience at a time, one moment at a time today. Small adjustment here, course correction there, one command from the Spirit, one obedience from us. That's the process. He speaks, we follow as best we know how today. Baby steps. I'm very concerned that you get this. My big fear is that you'll hear me talk about transformation of the heart Think about all the things that you don't do appropriately or perfectly now and say it's too much to do and give up and not try at all. 
that would frustrate me and frustrate the spirit and frustrate the whole body of Christ around you. When you give in to the opportunity to take baby steps and say, I can't ever get there, the goal is too far, and so you give up, then you frustrate the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So it's so critically important that you understand that obedience is for today. It's for immediate revelation from the Spirit. It's small baby steps and adjustment. I was so afraid that you would miss that point, that you would give up, that I've been trying to give you that hint all day long. Every little adjustment I made in the sanctuary today that you're wondering, what on earth is he walking up there and moving that plant for? Or why is he fixing that light screen back there? Is, is to tell you it's, it's small adjustments. It's, it's little things. It's, it's when the Spirit says, bite your tongue, and you manage to do it. You choose to do it, right? It's when the, you're ready to tell the waitress you've been waiting for 75 minutes for that ketchup and finding a pleasant way to do it rather than say, you know, it's been 75 minutes. I mean, those are the kinds of temptations we face daily, aren't they? Aren't they? And in those temptations, we reveal the shape of our heart. If we're not acting in ways that are led by the Spirit, if we're not acting in obedience to the Spirit in those little small things, we're never gonna figure out the cosmic will of God for our lives because we're demonstrating by our life that we really don't care. Daily, small obediences to the will of God. What does the psalmist say? Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Don't resist. Don't rationalize why the course of action you would like to take really makes more sense than what the Spirit is suggesting. Or, or that you have a right to feel the way you do because of this injustice that's happened to you. Or those people don't deserve forgiveness. Or, yeah, I know I've been carrying this grudge for a while, but it's sort of comfortable right here in my hip, and I think I'll leave it there. Obediences, one at a time, obediences for today, a daily obedience to the will of God is what reshapes our hearts. And if we will not commit to that, understanding there's gonna be some level of self-denial in all of this, right? You know that on the way in. Then consistent baby steps in the direction that God points out for us are necessary. Will you commit to surrendering your life to the will of the Spirit? Now that you have new life in Christ, will you allow him to reshape your living so that the heart stays free of the influences that caused it to harden in the first place? Will you lose Abandon, forsake your right to shape your own life and embrace the leading of the one who created you for meaning and purpose and joy? Will you commit to the small incremental steps to which he calls you? There are circumstances in life when piled upon each other bring us to the brink of losing hope. We've all been in those places from time to time. 
depending on how many things pile up and what the circumstances are. And it can be hard on days like that to see past the mountain and believe that God has something better in store for us. But I guess part of what I would encourage you today is to know in your heart that he's always with you. And if you can get your gaze off the mountain of resolving everything and obey for today, you can have hope restored in your life bit by bit by bit. Because each obedience to the Holy Spirit brings its own joy, its own progress, its own shaping. And we trust that in time, that the one who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion, and so that our hearts will improve over time, that they'll get better over time. And we will more frequently be able to respond naturally from a heart that is already shaped to the image of Christ. And we can trust him to help us respond that way. That's the goal to reflect the image and character of Christ. And so we have to choose, will, will we surrender to that foundation for living? Will we embrace a level of self-denial? Will we believe that God is trustworthy, that he knows what's best for our lives, that these light and momentary troubles will be far outweighed to the glory to be revealed in us when Christ appears, Will we believe that and step in obedience with the Holy Spirit? Or do we just want to go shopping? What's it going to be for us? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are known by your Spirit and we know ourselves and we in moments like this, see our shortcomings and know where we have failed and fallen short. We ask you to forgive us of those failures. Every time we get a picture of the image of Christ, we realize how far short of that we fall. And we are humbly sorry. We surrender ourselves to you and ask that you would help us Help us to discern your voice so that we know the direction we ought to take. Strengthen our will and our resolve that we might walk in step with you according to your commands. Transform our hearts that our actions may more and more reflect the character of Christ. We surrender ourselves to these things. And we ask by your grace and by your mercy that you would enable us to live up to the decisions of our will to hear and to follow you. In increasing measure, we pray. And now may the Spirit of God transform your hearts by his grace, that you may know the height and depth and breadth of the love of God, and that the fullness of God may reside in your hearts this day and always. Amen.